Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. I am here with Nate Olastad of Literati, and what an interesting company that is, and we're going to get into all that and Nate's background. So um, before I go any further, I want to say welcome to Nate. Nate, welcome to the big podcast. Hmm, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We're going to have some fun here because Nate and I are both Austinites, and we originally met at one of the Austin Recruiter Network meetings that happened, I don't know, it was probably like a year, year and a half ago or something like that. And uh, I immediately knew I needed to have him on the podcast. At that time, you were with Spreetail. That actually has a really interesting presence right on Congress Avenue in Austin. So every time I walk by the Spreetail location, I think of you. But stuff happened there last year, right? They needed to lay off some folks. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that too and, yep. and about Literati and all the other really interesting things that you've done. So before we get into all that, just explain for my listeners um, Nate, your current role. I always like to kind of set the context and the stage on what are you currently managing in terms of size and scope of role, team, number of hires, that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, this is a bit different of a role for me than I've traditionally been in over the last five to seven years. Whereas I've kind of uh, made the the choice to go to a smaller, earlier stage company. And with that, there's a little bit more rolling up of sleeves. I My current scope is I have... Uh, I, I manage the people operations and recruiting for Literati. Oh, um, interesting. So you're yeah. CHRO, basically. Interim, or? yeah. Until Interim. we get big enough to hire like a head of people. Okay. Um, so like I, I decided to, to take it on. I've been very, I've been very ingrained with, uh, with some amazing people operations and people teams in my mm-hmm. career. I've worked, I've worked super close with, um, you know, heads of people, directors of people, like learning L&D, business partner. So like I have a really good idea of like how good looks like. And I was fortunate enough to hire a, a pretty kick-ass uh, people operations manager to work for me here. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it just made more sense. Like just with the size that we were, when I joined, we were probably around 35 people or so. So okay. fairly small. And the CEO wanted to invest in recruiting early on. And okay. so brought me in to help build the infrastructure out. Um, and then with that came the people operations side as well. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have a people operations manager and I have a principal recruiter that I just hired that worked for me. So okay. we got a small team, small and yep. scrappy, but it's fun. Yeah, it's been, it's been many years since I've been able to like, since I've actually like recruited other than a couple like executive roles here and there, just really kind of rolling my sleeves up and getting, getting dirty again. Yeah, so, well, it never hurts to kind of keep, keep your skills sharp. So. No, Awesome. So, so still total of like 35 ish employees in the overall company or have they grown from that? We're at 65 now. Whoa. Okay. So doubled since you've yeah, been there. So we've grown, we've grown pretty quick. Um, our company to year to date is up 170%. Wow. And so like we're, we're growing significantly right now with that is an ever evolving uh, people hiring. And so yeah. our plan right now, which is probably, will probably change. But the plan is to end around a hundred people this year. Uh-huh. Um, but that was also on our our first forecast. 
yeah. of where we were going to be. Before we're coronavirus? Track. Yeah, well, pre-coronavirus, which actually was a blessing in disguise for us. We are on track to hitting our 2020 uh, revenue goals by the end of Q2. With that, we'll be a reforecast of our hiring. So we haven't gotten to that point just yet, but I imagine it's going to be over 100 people um, when all is said and done. So go back to what you said about coronavirus being a blessing. Yeah. So if you think about our business, so like we we're kind of our business kind of like Stitch Fix. It's a subscription box business right. for children's books. Huh. And if you think about like this, the current environment that we're in right now, kids are out of school, libraries are closed, people are stuck at home. Amazon's not selling books right now because they're they're focusing on essential products. So like it's a perfect storm really for introducing new, fun and exciting books for for children at home. But that's not the real, I mean, that's one of the reasons. That's more of like the fuel, that's adding more gas on the fire. But like we hired a a pretty amazing head of a VP of uh, growth marketing earlier this year. And he's put into he's put together a um, a really good growth marketing strategy with with our social and influencers and email marketing and all and retention marketing, all the things that really grow like a direct to consumer business. So that's been really the first and foremost that, and then all the people that we've hired that have been building a, a, a cool product, continuing to optimize it. Our supply chain side is is continuing to optimize. So we're really growing across the whole, whole organization that really kind of goes into the the growth that we've seen so far. Wow. And then you throw coronavirus on top of all that and we start having record day after day. Yeah. And uh, access to talent, is that also a win for you? Meaning, you know, other organizations are stopping or slowing, but you still need to grow. So do you feel like you're able to snap people up where you couldn't before? Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that is a critical piece to that. Like everyone says, we have a really high bar. You know, we do. We we're, we're very thoughtful about who we hire. We want to make sure that each hire is is the right thing for the business long term, not right for what we need right now. But there are there is a ton of amazing talent on the market right now, which has made us being able to to speed up our, our acquisition funnel a little bit quicker. Well, let's talk about your background um, a little bit more. You are a Clemson grad. I see you have proudly had that displayed on your uh, backwards cap you got going on here. And Why Clemson? That I have my for people who. Oh, can't paint a picture, but a I have degree, a degree frame oh, and so everything. We just went to a house and <laughs> okay. office just got set up. So, so let's talk more about your career. You started at Robert Half yep. for a year. So, so coming out of school, something in you said, "Hey, maybe recruiting might be an interesting career." Or what? How did that go? No, that's definitely not how it went. <laughs> okay, um, I was a marketing major. I had my my hopes and goals set like. At the time in the Southeast, Newell Rubbermaid used to be like like the biggest hires. They hired the most like marketing folks out of college. And it was cool. You got like a company car and a laptop and like you got all, it was like a really cool job. And like I, I made it to like the final, final rounds of that and ended up not getting it. And I was like devastated. And at the same time, I also broke up with the, the gal that I was with in college. And I had some friends up in Charlotte, North Carolina that were like, you should move to Charlotte. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And my resume had got passed around and somebody from Robert Half called me. He's actually, his name is Jason Flanders. Um, he still works there today. Good guy. But called me, he's like, hey, have you ever thought about recruiting? I'm like, I didn't know that that was a thing. And he's like, yeah, you should talk to me. And so we said, I, to, I delivered pizzas all through college. So I also always had that kind of hustler nature, like, I, like yeah. chasing after tips and all that, right? Yeah. And they liked that apparently. And, and 
offered me a job and I moved to Charlotte. I knew, I knew like three people. Um, I ended up living with a friend of mine's twin brother from college who lived up there and kind of showed me the ropes of uh, Charlotte and I got into recruiting. After about a year, I hated it. I was doing, I was working for office teams, so doing administrative and clerical temp staffing. And I did well, I, I did really well from like a billing perspective. And I got great training right out of college. But I was just like, this is not for me. Like recruiting is not for me. And I went, I left and joined a, a golf tech startup company. Right. And click it golf. Yeah. Click it golf. Are they golf. still around? Um, I don't think so. Maybe they are, but there, it was kind of like golf now, you know, mm -hmm. you sell this kind of rounds online. So that was fun. I learned how to golf. I think I golfed like 50 or 60 times that year. But there's just wasn't a ton of money to be made. And at the time, my girlfriend, my, my now wife, we, who I met at Robert Half. So it was, it was meant to be right. Well, there you go. Yeah. The so we ended up, well, we wanted to move up to Seattle, be closer to family. Neither of us had family. She's from Louisiana. And so that's how we, that's how I got in. And then I moved up to Seattle and got back into like, one of my friends was like, you really need to go meet my, a buddy of mine at this company called Graythorn, which is tech recruiting agency. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. But then I, I got into, I realized that the tech side of it was like really what appealed to me. Yeah. And that's, that's where I got back into recruiting. I haven't looked back since. Fantastic. And then Google picked you up while you were in Seattle after Graythorn, which is awesome. I feel like that was the era where Google did hiring, like using those trick questions and things. Is that right? Did you, were you there then? Uh, I think that they kind of always do. I think they're always like, you know, they want to understand like, well, why is a manhole cover round? Yeah. Or, right, right, you know, right. If you were the like size that. of a dime and you got put into a blender, you know, yeah. how do you, how do you get out before it starts in 10 seconds or something? Yeah. Exactly. Right. I mean, classic, uh, the intern movie questions, right? But yeah, so, I mean, it was a good experience. Like if I think about anything from that, like I think about just who I met from a candidate perspective that I might not have met otherwise. Right. So I grew my network with some pretty amazing people. I worked with some amazing sourcers and recruiters. So I have like good friendships from that. And some of them are actually down here in Austin now. So I keep up with them. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good experience. But then I moved to Austin and we'd been up in Seattle for about seven years. And my wife, again, was from Louisiana, wanted to be closer to family. So I was like, well, I'd love to be closer, but I kind of only want to move to Austin. It seems like the, you know, the only city that really has like the culture and like the quality of life that we've been used to in Seattle and Charlotte. Charlotte's a, a really cool city too. So yeah, we ended up moving to Seattle and I, I interviewed with Rackspace and they relocated us down. And Rackspace was, was probably one of the, one of the top two or three companies I've worked for in my career. Like just an amazing company all around. I was there at the peak of everything um, before they got acquired by a private equity firm right, before, right after I left. And talk about like awesome people. I had amazing bosses there, great colleagues. Um, it was a cool product that, that, that I could sell to anybody. You know, like it really was, it was as a recruiter, it's kind of like a dream to get behind a product that like is, is you can sell, right? That people don't like have to be like, eh, I don't really want to work for that company. I've heard bad things. Right. We had all good things about, you know, that's one of the best onboarding, one of the best tech, like, like cloud products. We were one of the first in the market for like the infrastructure as a service or public cloud before Amazon and Google kind of came and just destroyed that space, you know? You know, what you're talking about is the sort of uh, tech wave that has, of course, all of its ups and downs and acquisitions and uh, spinoffs. And so mm -hmm. you've really 
ridden that wave for the majority of your career. How would you say that your style has evolved through all that? And, and where did you learn the most? Your style has to be adaptive, right? Like you have to adapt to like the macro and the micro economy that you're in, like the companies that you work for, the industries that you're in. And I've actually, you know, I've worked in, I've worked in the cloud space. I've worked in the SaaS space. I've worked in the e-commerce space. Now I'm in the direct to consumer space. Like, and I kind of like, I look at all that, like it adds like another feather to my cap each time because I learn a different way, a different, a different industry, a different type of company. It really kind of helps you be a more well-rounded uh, talent acquisition professional. Um, where I learned the most absolutely about myself and my abilities and was at Duo Security, for sure. They, they poached me out of Rackspace. I was a senior manager there, managing like a, a small team of recruiters where we're building out like all the future business units of, of Rackspace. And I got poached out to be the, the global director of recruiting for Duo. And it was a, it was a stretch goal for me. Like I knew it, like I knew going in, I didn't have everything they need, but I knew that I was a good recruiter and I knew that I could lead and motivate and like inspire recruiters to like be better at what they do. And it was just a new industry. So like, I, I really, I, I went in and it was the first time like taking over a team of recruiters and having to like go through the change management process of that. And then also having to grow and managing a team in three, four different locations or, you know, in the U S and the UK creating like long-term strategies, like basically like the buck stops with you. You know, there's no other like, well, I need to go talk to my recruiting manager to help. Like, no, it's you. So mm-hmm. we're now forced to have to make like difficult decisions that are like that impact the future of the organization, you know, and you learn real quick about like who you are in those situations. So like, I, I would say like, I learned the most from Duo. One of the challenges that you just mentioned, I'd love to dig a little deeper into the whole acquiring a team or, you know, inheriting a team, let's call it that. That can be super bumpy in my experience. What did you take away from that or sort of what would you do differently if you if you could based on that experience? So I really learned about change management at Duo. Really setting clear expectations of like where we're at today, where we're going to be, like what the future state is going to look like and the whys behind it, right? Because a lot of times I didn't give the whys. You know, it was a, hey, we're going to do this and like, like, let's go ahead and do it. So I thought that I was getting people bought in at times where maybe I might not have been. That on the surface level of things, like, all right, we've got a good strategy, we're in place, we're going, we're moving. But on the back end, you start hearing feedback of like, oh, like Nate kind of just pushed this, a force of this, and like could have spent more time explaining this and doing, you know, and doing the things that would get us like bought in along the way and get like executive stakeholder buy-in too. Like, cause there's all the parts of change management, right? And, and so I learned a lot from that to where my second go around was a lot smoother of a transition. Um, yeah. Thank, thank uh, you for walking through that because that's little known and super valuable. I mean, the whole meeting before the meeting and the, you know, getting people bought in and going slow to go fast. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're working for a company that just raised their series C, you know, and they're like, we have, you know, we have to make more hires this year than we've ever made before. Like go. So it's just kind of one of those things where it's like you're like you're having to put duct tape on on the bus that's going 100 miles an hour while you're like to keep things on while you're fixing it. That I mean, that's just it's so true. Like, yeah, but you have to be comfortable with and you have to be comfortable and confident in yourself to like slow down to move fast. Like, you know, um, that's certainly something that I learned that when they look at you, especially when they're bringing in kind of like a hired gun, right? They're bringing somebody in at that, at that leadership level, like, 
and they're expecting a turnaround. They're expecting result, results quickly. But what I found, honestly, is that the teams that have come and brought in, they've been super open to feedback and change for the most part. There's been a lot of low-hanging fruit that you can fix real quick, process things, right? Tools, areas of focus, training, up on negotiating and, and candidate relationship management and closing and all the things, right? That like really buy you a lot of time. So if you can go and identify those like quick fixes, again, that can buy you maybe another month or two because, because if, they're, if they're used to seeing, for example, 40% fill to your hiring plan, and that's what they've been seeing the last year or so, and you come in and tweak some things and you like the next quarter, you're at 60, 70%, you've made a huge push forward. And then now you can like refine to get to that like next 25%, right? Of like, how to now, now these are the deep things that I need to like get my like hooks in and really understand like what's going on and who's pulling the levers and like where, like what the dynamics are and the politics of the company that's preventing us from hitting this plan from before. Like that buys you the time to do it. Yeah. I love that. And also as a leader, if you're able to kind of push the team a little bit and as you say, tweak around the edges and get them from the 40 to the 60, it kind of buys them a little credibility, elevates their value that they're adding. And then you'll have the time to do the yeah. other, you know, deep yeah. stuff. You mentioned technology, especially as an accelerator. What are you loving these days? What what kind of technology are you do you feel is worth the investment when you have always such little budget to spend on on tech? So I think about and I, again, I, I haven't invested in this here yet, but my, I, my mind always goes to what technologies can quickly fill the top of my funnel with the most qualified talent. Like that is the, the core of it, right? Because we can manage a lot of the other stuff, the candidate experience of the process, like the engagement piece, right? Like, but if we're not filling the top of our funnel and minimize and like helping the things that like recruiters have the very least time to do, and that's sourcing, right? When we have everything else that pulls us away from sourcing, what are the tools that help that? And I think about tools like I'm a huge fan of HireTool. I think HireTool is um, one of the best AI sourcing platforms out there. They like, and what I love about them is that they take feedback and integrate that into their next sprints and, and their next their next feature releases. I think that's that's invaluable. Like when you think about like having a partner, and again, I look at tools as partnerships, right? It's not just me buying something from them. So I like going with companies that are a little bit earlier stages that you can help like, like A-B test things with them, you know, and they, and they come to you with feedback and listen to, you, listen to your feedback. So I think about things like Hire Tool for one. And now they're integrating more of a CRM functionality into their, into their platform, which is, again, it makes it easier for a recruiter to, to do what they do and automates those tasks. So let's talk about branding for a talent acquisition leader personally, per- personal branding. You know, I, of course, did a little bit of research on you. I know you, but then, you know, separately, it was kind of taking the view of if I were looking for somebody with your background, what would I see in terms of your social media profile and others? It's like you make pretty good use of LinkedIn and Twitter. You were interviewed a couple of years ago on hiring in all cylinders um, when you were at Duo, I think. And congratulations, by the way. I love that podcast. You're going to be on the panel at TalentNet Interactive in June. By the way, is that still happening in person or are they going to go virtual with that? I, I think we're pushing it to November. Oh, okay. Because it was already pushed. From, yeah. Already like, pushed. I think that yeah. Craig, um, who's the organizer of that, um, Craig Fisher, I think he's talking about potentially think, seeing if it'd be all right to combine the Dallas and the Austin TalentNet up, up in Dallas. So that may be, that may be a thing. 
but yeah, we, we've been, all the speakers on that have been kind of on a, a LinkedIn thread about whether or not that's going to continue. At yeah. in June or not. I don't think it's going to be in June if I had to guess. Cause that would be so much better in person. I just, I just feel like, uh, you know, they have to push it. It's probably okay. Well, in any case, so you're involved in that you're definitely networked and in the community, multiple communities, actually, not just Austin, the Seattle recruiter network and uh, others, you know, your day job demands a lot. You've got to run a team. You've got to hire people. You've got to worry about, you know, your, your, your one employer or your client. You know, how do you think about that in terms of spending time on social media and spending time speaking and writing? What, how do you, how do you integrate all that? It's always a thing for me to do, to do more writing. That's a weakness of mine. And, I, and it's one thing that I always just push off, but I look at it this way. Like I look at it as like, I chose to be in talent acquisition, not because of superficial things. I, I chose to be in talent acquisition because I feel like I have a skill that I can help people. The most rewarding thing in, in, in being in recruiting is the fact that like we help people get jobs and that's not just engineers and marketers and salespeople. We help, I help recruiters get jobs too. And like, I like to spend as much time, like I'm on the board for the Austin Recruiter Network because like, I want to be able to help raise the awareness of TA, help people in the, in the field, get better at what they do, like be a sounding board, like create like this, like open source community basically for, for recruiting. So I think about it that way. Like I, I could be more active on social media and I'm not nearly as active as a lot of my other like fellow practitioners in the space. But I think that like, that's how I think about it. Like the more I spend there, the more I, I put into the recruiting universe. Right. And the more comes back and, and other people may do the same for their colleagues. Like when I first, when I first got into recruiting in Seattle, it was very much of a, uh, you're my competitor. Like I'm not sharing with you, you know? And it's like, it wasn't that like when I moved down to Austin and I went to the first ARN meeting, I was like, these people are all helping each other and they, and they all care about each other. And they like, they are putting other people's rights and everything in front of theirs. And they're opening up about how they do TA and the challenges that they face and all that. So I think I take that same mentality to, to Twitter and to, and to LinkedIn and to Facebook and, and offer to help as much as I possibly can. I, I try to mentor as much as I possibly can. One of my problems, one of my faults is I, I, I'm a people pleaser. So I, I often overcommit myself on things. And so sometimes I, I under deliver because I overcommit on, on wanting to help. Um, but that's a fault I know of, you know? Wow. That's, I love your perspective on that. You said you'd like to do more writing. What, what kind? If I had the time, I'd like to do more blogging. Like I would like to have a blog that is consistently kept up with content, but I don't, I just, that's again, like that just gets pushed to the side, right? Especially having a, you know, four, four young kids and a wife at home and a job that is, relentless right leading leading recruiting is is a pretty relentless job there's lots to do all the time you never you you literally could work 24 hours a day if you wanted to um so it's just hard like again it's me making excuses but you know i just like to add more content on on linkedin add more content to the facebook communities that i'm a part of writing writing for like ere right i've been asked to write for ere you know I like to spend more time doing that well, you just might be in a season of life where it just doesn't allow for that, right? And uh, yeah, right? It, might, it might be a might be a goal, especially with yeah, the family right side. With vacations without kids, like yeah. we're, we're that, that part of life that just doesn't happen. I'm with you. 
<laughs> hey, can we talk about candidate experience for a minute? You know, the whole um, Candy Awards, the talent board, and the great work they've done in kind of pushing that agenda and putting some metrics and data around it. Uh, what's been your experience in the whole, you know, candidate experience tweaking and or where are you at with regard to literati? Do you intend to apply for the award at some point? What What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. My intention is always to apply and, and to be involved in the Candy Awards. I think that's a great program. Talent Board does a great job with that. So Candy Experience for me is like absolutely 100% the number one thing ever. Like if, if we don't master Candy Experience, like just hang it up and go home. Like if you don't care about it, if it's not like at, at the front of your mind, um, you shouldn't be in recruiting. Um, I've always like, here's a good example. So every year we, we know the Candy Awards, they, they release their... Uh, their survey, their findings, right? It's usually 70, 80 pages or whatever of findings of, of all the surveys they take and all the data. Right. Um, when I was at Spreetail, we ended up doing was we took the findings of that. We kind of reverse engineered it into like themes of what are like, what do candidates like? What do they not like? And how are we going to, how are we going to build our recruiting strategy around this? And how are we, one, how are we going to hold ourselves accountable to it? That was the most important part, right? So we actually mapped out the whole candidate journey and put it on our career page um, on every step of the process, what you can expect, your response times, what the recruiter will, how you can be treated from the recruiter, what you're going to hear. And we mapped it out. I actually received a ton of people, a ton of candidates saw it and they're like, I've never seen this before. Like how awesome. And then we run reports and we can now hold ourselves accountable to the, to our SLAs that, that we promised to the candidates and to our internal stakeholders. Just to give you an idea of like, how important it is to me. I wanted to say, you know what? Like, I'm going to challenge us all. And not only are we going to talk about it, because we all say that it's important to us, but I'm going to throw it out there. I'm just going to put it out there. And like, now that's, we got to, we got to be accountable to it. You, you mentioned earlier about mentoring younger recruiters and kind of spending time and making sure that you're able to, um, you know, give them the benefit of your experience. What advice do you have? Like somebody comes to you and says, Hey, you know, you've had some interesting experiences. I want to be a leader someday. What do I do? What, what's your best advice? That this is something that like, I'm pretty passionate about moving from like an IC to a, to a leader is the first and foremost, like you have to be a master at your craft. You have to show that like you're, you're a performer, right? Because the number one thing about being a leader is credibility, right? If you don't have credibility um, from your team or credibility from the, your peers, like how are you going to manage them? How are you going to motivate them and, and help guide them to be better at what they do? That's one, that's one part of it, right? You have to be a top performer or strive to be excellent at what you do in an authentic way, right? Two, you have to make people around you better. And so you have to spend time mentoring other people. You have to spend time in an authentic way, helping people be better at what they do, not in a, oh, I'm trying to help you because I'm, like, I need to get here. I have grown many, many individual contributors into managers and off of that advice alone, right? It's like, if you want to be here, you have to do these two things and you have to do them well and authentic. Like if you come across inauthentic, you're gonna, you're gonna lose the trust and the buy-in from the people and, you're, and it's a lost cause, you know, unless you go to another company where you jump in. Uh, as a leader, you know? So I think those, that's the two pieces of advice that I have that I haven't seen really change, right? Yeah. Over the course of, over the course of my recruiting career. Um, and I've moved from an IC to a manager three times in my career. Um, not because I wanted to, but I just was kind of naturally just all, always just fell into that situation, right? 
where like, I, again, I want to see people around me do better. I think there's a lot of, like in our industry, there's a lot of people that make it hard for us to have a good name. They cut corners. They, they do things shady. They do things because like they're transactional focused. And yeah. my whole goal as, as a TA leader is like, I want, and, and why I help and get back into the community is that I want to make sure that other people are doing things the right way so we can, we can ha- continue to grow a respectable industry in, in, in recruiting, right? Um, and, and make that, you know, continue to like make that more and more respected by, by engineers, by HR, by sales and marketing. I love it. You know, maybe just one final question, and that is, is there anything else you'd like future recruiting leaders to know about what it's like to really stand in your shoes? You got to have thick skin. You got you to have a strong back. Uh, you can't have a glass jaw, right? Standing in, in the shoes of a recruiting leader, it's a thankless job, like, like recruiting at times, right? But if you're passionate about what you do, you're data-driven, and you can help tell the story of your business and your team, like you're going to have a seat at the table. Your life's going to be a lot easier. You're going to be able to help make decisions and be part of the proactive strategy rather than being part of like the reactive strategy. And so the more that you, you have a voice and you back that by data and you deliver on results and you understand like the dynamics of your team and what they're able to do and how they're able to deliver, again, all backed by data, right? You're going to have a better, a better opportunity to have a successful career and grow companies and, and, and continue to grow. Uh, that's a great place to leave us. Credibility, build trust, have a thick skin. That's a summary takeaway. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Terrific. All right, Nate. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time and uh, wisdom. And uh, I can't wait to see you again at the next ARN meetup when we can all meet in person again. Won't that be fun? Yeah, absolutely. I just can't wait to see other human beings. Right? (laughs) Yes, indeed. Not that I don't love my family. Yes, right, right, right. Yeah, Yeah. but a little bit of, um, you know, mixing it up socially is a lot of fun. So, all right. Well, you stay well and thanks again. Thank you so much. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com. 